Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to start today with a quote from Rick Warren. Some of you I know have heard of him, read his books. Most people struggle with three basic issues in life. First is identity, who am I? The second is importance, do I matter? And the third is impact, what is, what is my purpose in life? God's purpose for your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. <gasps> Let me just warn you, it, it's going to get worse. One of the greatest tragedies that has taken place in, in the last generation, the last few generations, is, is the garbage from our society has crept into the church. And that garbage is this, that everything is about you. Everything is about me. You know, if I'm not happy, if I don't feel fulfilled, if my needs are not met, the whole world collapses around me. Well, guess what, sweetheart? The universe does not revolve around you and me. You, are you catching this? All right? And so the truth of the matter is this. God has a plan for us. It's God's plan. God doesn't come to you and go, oh, oh, by the way, what's your plan? So maybe I can see if I can fit it into my schedule. All right, it's going to get tough this morning. All right, but we need this. We need this. We need this reality check. All right, because it's that kind of mentality that destroys marriages. It's that kind of mentality that gets people to think uh, very self-centered and selfish and, and, and everything revolves around them. And that is a destroyer of any relationship. I see some of you want to hold on to that. So let me start again. God's purpose for your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, even your happiness. We see this often. An individual will, let's say, um, let me use the food pantry, for example. An individual will come and they'll find out about our food pantry, find out we're feeding 1,400 families a month, plus we have the mobile pantry that goes to Seaside Heights and to Tom's River and goes and serves all the people in the hotels there that are shut-ins, and all of a sudden, and you, oh, I want to get involved in this, I want to get involved in this, you know, and they'll go and they'll come back and go, oh, it made me feel so good. And I go, oh, God. The motives are completely wrong. Because what happens? Well, well, pastor, is it wrong for a person to feel good about doing good? Uh, yeah, it is. Because when the feelings stop, you don't show up anymore. And there's still people that need to be fed. And there's still people that need to be ministered to. And it's not subject to how good it makes you feel. It's subject to are you willing to lay your life down for that hour, two hours, three hours every once in a while so that somebody can go home and have food on their table so that it reduces the stress in that household and possibly reduces the stress on that marriage and possibly reduces the stress in that mom or dad from flipping out on their kids because the pain on the inside of not having any food for their children drives them to the brink. Are you catching it? So you see how uh, our purpose of our life has to go so far beyond just our own personal fulfillment. Oh, yeah, it's going to get worse. God's purpose for our life is far greater than our own peace of mind. And yes, even our own happiness. It will last longer. It is what God's purpose lasts longer than your family, than your ministry, than your dreams and your ambitions. 
And to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. I'll throw this one in. The level of peace and contentment and stability that we experience in this life is always going to be determined by how close to God's plan and God's will you are walking. You missed a good opportunity there. God is not just the starting point of your life. He is the source of it. To discover your purpose in life, you must turn to God's word, not to the world's wisdom. You must build your life on eternal truths, not temporary convenience. The Message Bible, I love the way it paraphrases Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose is he is working out in everything and everyone. God is wanting to work out things in your life so that you and I line up with his plan, that we line up with his will. We're not out here like some renegade. We're not out here like some rebel trying to carve out an existence for ourselves. Because when you do that, you're on your own. And it's tough being on your own. It's tough being out there and working your own plan and not being able to tap into the grace of God. His grace is on his plan. His favor is on his plan. His provision is on his plan, not yours. Now, he has mercy on us to the extent that we may in our ignorance You know, the Apostle Paul said that God had mercy on him because the things that he did contrary to the will of God, he did in ignorance. It was never God's will for Paul, Saul, I should say, to persecute the believers. He thought he's doing God's plan, so he did it in ignorance. And when we do things in ignorance and we're not sure 100%, God's mercy is there. But once he starts to deal with us, once he starts to show you, once he starts to open up your eyes to reveal his plan to you, then we're responsible to line up with that plan. Makes sense, doesn't it? And in that plan, there's peace. In that plan, there's contentment. In that plan, there's provision. Outside of that plan, it can get rough. We found out last week that God does have a will of his own. Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You miss it, you miss it. Let's do it again. Your kingdom come. Where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. In heaven. We found that last week that in heaven, there is nothing that is contesting or contending God's will. In heaven, there are no rebels. In heaven, there are no renegades. In heaven, there's nobody trying to work their own plan out. In heaven, everything is consistent with God's will. On earth, a whole different story. That's why we see the turmoil we've seen. That's why we see the, the, the things that upheaval on this earth, because the further away our, our nation, the further away all nations, all cultures, all societies have turned from God is to the extent that they will experience upheaval, turmoil, and things of this nature. There's no peace. There's no contentment. There's no sense of fulfillment. Why? Because it's not in God's will. Most of the planet is operating outside of God's will. Well, why does he do something about it? He did. He sent Jesus here. So that you and I, when we align ourselves with him and we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we experience a new birth, we get out of this kingdom of darkness and he, he translates us and, 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 and brings us into this kingdom of light, this kingdom of his dear son, then we are on this path now 
of finding his will, and that's what this whole series is about. It's finding out God's will, God's general will, which we're going to talk about today, God's specific will for our lives. How do we find God's specific will? You know, back in 1994, when the Lord started studying my heart about getting into the ministry and about establishing his church, I could not find a verse in the Bible that said, Joe, thus says the Lord, this is what you're to do, and this is where you're to go, and this is what, it's not there. You could, I, trust me, I looked. I had to find a way, a method, a path to the heart of God to find out from him specifically. Lord, I sense a stirring. And there's some of you now in this season, you sense a stirring. You sense something shifting. You sense something's going on. He's starting to deal with you in a way that he hadn't dealt with you before. Now, it's your responsibility to take the time. It's your responsibility to put aside some of the distractions and say, Lord, I, I'm in your face. I'm, I'm going to press in. I need to know from you something on the inside. I know I'm unsettled. Believe me, I went through this 94 95. I took time, set time aside to pray and to just get in God's face and just worship God and get the distractions out of the way. And out of that time was birth this ministry, this church. Amen? Amen? Now, we found out last week that there are two opposing forces against God's will. Number one is the devil, that's a given, we know that. But the second one is even more powerful. The unsubmitted human will can thwart the plan of God. You think it was God's will for Judas to turn out the way he did? Of course not. But Judas could not submit his will. Judas could not put himself aside. Judas had an agenda. Judas was for Judas and nobody else. And so his unsubmitted will, his fact, the fact that he was offended at Jesus because of something that Jesus said to him just weeks before the crucifixion. He couldn't get over it. And that offense caused him to become the traitor, to become the betrayer. And you can't even mention Judas's name today without that connotation. Ephesians chapter five, verse 15 says this. Therefore be careful how you walk. You know, we, we, the Bible's not to when it says walk, it's not talking about physically walking. It's talking about living. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you conduct yourself. Be careful the path that you choose. Walk, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. They go by fast. Verse 17, look at this. So then do not be foolish, but understand, look at this, what the what? Will of the Lord is. So this tells me that if I just go through life, never taking the time, never bothering to find out his will, never bothering to find out what is his general will, what is his specific will for my life, I am considered a fool. And God never created any one of us to be fools. He's given us his word. He's deposited his spirit on the inside of every believer so that we would hear the voice of God that we would be able to discern on the inside when God is directing us and steering us and, and shifting us. Amen? Amen? Now, here's what I want to really concentrate on this weekend. Because this is where we struggle. We're, we're advised, we're admonished, we're, we're encouraged to not be foolish, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there's the general will, which is very clear in the Bible, and then there's the specific will. Now, we struggle with this because 
We refute, how can we put it this way? Let's put it this way. You cannot operate in two different wills. You You were either living and conducting your life according to your will, or you were living and conducting your life according to the will of God. Now, again, getting back to that area of ignorance, there is a little bit of gray area there that God will have some patience with us. But when we live our lives habitually, resisting the will of God in our life, things are going to get rough. Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 12, verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted into the soil and dies, say that with me, and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world, in other words, those who are going to hang on to their will, that are determined that their dream, their plan is going to come to pass, will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life, they're not holding on to this dream, they're not holding on to their will, they've determined that they're going to be flexible in the hands of God, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Message Bible. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in your love, I love that, reckless in your love. Well, love for what? Love for God. You'll have it forever, real and eternal. Church, with all my heart, I hope that you receive this message. Because here is the truth. Those who refuse to relinquish their will, their plan, their desires, will miss out on some of the greatest Christian experiences. And that Christian experience I'm talking about is what I like to call the death walk. And I meant to do this after last night. I should have had somebody, I should have had Brandon on that, on that organ there, the death walk. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that most people live and die above ground. Therefore, they never reproduce the life of God in others. The resurrection power of Christ can only follow death to self. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Both of us can't live. Either Jesus is going to live through me or Joe's going to live through me. Now, there's going to be times when you're, you know, it's, well, is this Joe? Is this. Because to see Joe always wants to come back to life, just like you. Uh, are you catching this? Now, there's sometimes where, where Joe's content to be and let Jesus live, but there's other times where Dracula comes out of the grave again. And we've all had those episodes. Now, you cannot experience resurrection power if you're not willing to die first. Jesus, before he resurrected, before Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, he looked different and he conducted himself different. After the resurrection, Jesus' power is unlimited. Before the resurrection, he is limited to this human body He could become tired, he became hungry, he had to sleep. Are you catching this? Okay. But after the resurrection, 
He so changed that the disciples who spent three years together with him almost on a daily basis did not recognize him. In fact, if you go even further than that, John the apostle, remember John, the youngest of the disciples, the one who was so close to Jesus. And man, you better be secure in your manhood and you better know who you are. When when you're that type of person, you're so close to this man that John rests his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. That John, who was that close to Jesus, had that kind of an intimate relationship. When he sees Jesus, who appears to him on the island of Patmos later on, 30, 40 years later, he sees Jesus in his majesty. He falls like a dead man to the floor. He was so changed. He saw the Jesus of eternity. So different. And that same, that same principle applies to our lives. When you're going to live your life out, when you're going to live, well, you don't understand, Pastor. Just how I, this is how I am. This is my personality. No, no, you don't want to die. Oh, you know, I just have a temper. You know, it's just how I am. My family's that way. Well, no, no, you don't want to die. You're holding on to your life. No, you don't understand. You know, Pastor, I have needs. You know, and I know that, you know, I do some things that, you know, a little shady, but, you know, I have my needs. No, you don't want to die. Because we're supposed to die and we're supposed to come up on the other side in resurrected power. And we're supposed to not look like we did before. We're not supposed to think like we did before. We're not supposed to act like we did before. But you don't tap into that resurrection power unless you're willing to die. But again, it is inevitable that even those of us that have tapped into that resurrection power, every once in a while, there is going to be an illegal resurrection. About three weeks ago, my wife and I are driving. I don't know where we're coming from. We have to stop for gas. She's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. I'm tired. I'll tell you that ahead of time. I'm tired because then maybe you'll give me some mercy. So we stop at a gas station around here. I won't tell you where. She's driving her car, so she's going to use her cash. So she says to the gentleman, who spoke very good English at that point, um, put $20 in, please. I'm sitting back there just kind of resting. He comes over, he goes, okay, $28. And I went, Dracula came right out of the grave. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, she said 20. Now all of a sudden he doesn't speak English anymore. So I said to the guy, okay, what were you going to do if we don't have the other $8? My wife's going, would you shut up? What's the matter with you? We're literally right down the street from the church. What is wrong with you? <laughs> that sucker will come out of the graveyard at the worst possible times. I, I felt bad. You know, I, I didn't feel bad enough to say I'm sorry because <laughs> he's telling me he doesn't understand English anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but what happened there? What happened? We, we had a resurrection but of the wrong person. Are you getting this? I needed to die to that situation. I knew we had the $8. But I'm like, well, this isn't the idea. You told him 20. She went, shut up. But you told him 20. Don't look at me like that. You would have did the same thing. But this is what I'm talking about. It's not God's will for us to display to the world that doesn't know him yet this unredeemed 
unrenewed human flesh. We need to die so that we can experience his resurrection power. Amen? Now, ideally, it would have been, oh, oh, sir, I, I'm so sorry that you had that mistake. You know what? Just to come, how about if I give you $10 instead of eight? Because I know we put you through some grief here. I don't think I would have got that far. <laughs> but at least I could have kept my mouth shut. Resurrection power does not come unless you're willing to die. And that type of person, some of you are the same way, I do not like injustice. And so immediately we're like, I'm going for this guy's juggler vein. But we need to die to those things. We need to die to those things. Back in 1989, I was still in the restaurant business. The restaurant business was not going well then. If you remember, some of you remember if you're old enough, in 1987 we got hit with a recession. And that recession was a tough one. And back then, uh, in any recessions before that, when a recession hits, usually the restaurant business suffers first. Because, you know, you can go make yourself a box of macaroni and cheese home. You don't have to go out to eat. Now, recessions come and go and they don't affect it. What? Because nobody knows how to cook anymore. So, so, so that restaurant business is almost recession-proof now because whether you have it or not, you, I'm not cooking. You're going to cook. I'm not cooking. But back then, it hit hard. And so I've got a wife. I've got four kids to take care of. They were little then. So I need a stream of income. This guy, I need some kind of income coming in. So I want to make a long story short. I get involved in, in one of these insurance businesses, and, and some of you know about it. Some of you may be involved in it today. This is still around. And I was doing real well. I did. I had like 50 people underneath me already within a couple of months, and it was just, you know, because when you have a business that's with the public, it's easy to recruit people, you know? So it was doing really well. I hadn't even got my license yet, and I already had 50 people underneath me, and the company is freaking out because it's, this is phenomenal. This guy's going to do great, and, you know, we're going to rent you an office in Bricktown, and you're going to be the head of the office, and you can do Bible studies there if you want. Do anything you want. Just keep bringing the people in, yeah? So I'm like, oh, this is good. So the restaurant, you know, I can fade out of that, and I can get involved in this other business, and I'll be able to take care of my family, you know? And one day, one afternoon, I'll never forget, it was on a Thursday afternoon, I'm walking from the kitchen of the, of the restaurant to my office, and I've got this business on my mind because we were supposed to have a meeting there in a couple of days right in the restaurant. And I hear this on the inside. Put it down now. Are you kidding me? I got a family to take care of. This restaurant's not pretty good. If anything, we're eating, but I got bills to pay. I can't pay them with chicken cutlets, I got to pay them with, put it down now. I knew exactly what saw me, nobody, had, I didn't need an interpretation, I didn't need a, three angels from heaven to come with a banner, I knew exactly what I was about. put that thing down, it's not my will for you to get involved in this business, I don't care how good you're doing. Now, my brother-in-law was a high up in that company, I call him up, I said, I'm done, what are you, what are you talking about, I, I'm out, what do you mean you're out, we just rented an office, no, I'm out. No, but you could do the Bible. Said, no, no, it doesn't matter. I'm out. God said I'm out. Got out. The restaurant went into bankruptcy. We lost everything. Now, in the natural scope of things, you said, what the heck did you do? You had an opportunity. Yeah, but God said to get out. And his ways, I don't know if you realize this, his ways are different than our ways. You see, because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows, he knows what he's got in store for you up ahead. So I stayed out. 
Lost everything, lost the house, lost everything. But a couple of years later, I hear, it's time to go into ministry now. Time to go to Bible school. We did. We went into the ministry. You're sitting here, you're proof of it. Two weeks ago, when we celebrated our 20th anniversary, that was on Sunday, right? On Saturday afternoon, I drive down to the Pine Belt Arena because I want to see the place and I want to encourage the volunteers and say thank you to everybody who's working so hard there to set this thing up. And I walk in and it hit me like, (gasps) the sight of seeing over 1,300 seats assembled, set up, the sight of seeing this gigantic platform where our worship team's going to be, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I sat in the middle of that auditorium, my wife next to me, crying. Pastor Pam walks over to me, she's crying. I said to her, I'm not crying for what you think I'm crying. Yeah, I'm happy and I'm thankful. But all that I can think of right now is what if I did not say yes? What if I would have said, God, I'm sorry, but I got a family to take care of. I've got bills to pay. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lose everything after how hard I worked. I'm sorry, I'm sticking with my program. I would have never had the opportunity to step into that arena. None of this would be here. You and I wouldn't be here. Oh, God would have raised somebody else up to do this because he's not going to abandon Bricktown. But I wouldn't have had the opportunity, and you'd probably be in somebody else's church that you could relate to. And none of this would have happened. I sat there crying. I said to my wife, I said to Pam, what if we said no? What if we said no? What if we weren't willing to take the step of faith? What if we weren't willing to travel 1,400 miles across country to go to a place that we didn't know anything about and knew nobody there? What if we weren't willing? And trust me, I don't say that like this. I say that because of the stark reality, because we know when God says to us, put it down, but we don't know what he's got in store for us, and you will never find what he has in store for you until you say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. The death walk is the most important experience in the life of a Christian, and unfortunately, most of the time, we turn away from it. We insist on remaining alive to our life, to our plan, to our dreams, to our desires. And we shortchange ourselves. And the worst part about it is when you shortchange yourself of the plan of God, you shortchange everyone that you were supposed to touch in the fulfillment of that plan. Your family suffers. Your generations in the future will suffer. I'm sorry to bring this kind of a sobering message today, but I'm not sorry. Because hopefully it's going to stop somebody who's on the verge right now of making the wrong decisions. Looking at the short term instead of trusting God for the long term. I've only got a few minutes left, and maybe I just want to make a further point this way. Getting back to something that I referred to in the beginning of this message. Don't hate me because I tell you the truth, please. But the truth of the matter is, you're not that important, and neither am I. And I know, what are you saying, Pastor? Because, you know, I heard so-and-so on television say, you know, and he just wrote a book, that I'm special. And that I'm the apple of God's eye, and there's nobody else like me in the whole universe. Thank God. (laughs) Dear God Almighty, this junk from the world has crept into the church. 
when you are so full of yourself and you think you're the only person that matters to God, that is a slap in the face to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East who are dying right now. What, God doesn't care about them? The thousands and thousands that are living in refugee camps, the thousands that are living in ruins of the villages and the cities that they lived in, God doesn't care about that. What, they're not important? Only you're important. Only I am important. And so the whole universe has to revolve around me because, you know, if everything doesn't go my way, (laughs) that's a disgrace. Was John the Baptist not important? Yet he lost his head. You notice that God didn't step in and intervene? Was not Stephen the first martyr of the church? Was he not important in the book of Acts? You notice that God didn't send 16 angels to stop the stones from hitting him? He was allowed to be stoned to death. Why? Because in that crowd was a man that was going to be affected by the investment of Stephen's life. That man's name was Saul. Decades later, he talks about how he was there as a young man holding the robes of the men who were stoning Stephen. And as Saul was standing there watching the death of this young man, this godly young man, he hears that godly young man say to God, do not lay this charge against them. Just like Jesus at the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that statement so impacted Saul that it opened up the opportunity for Jesus Christ to meet him on the road to Damascus and totally change Saul's destiny. If Stephen would have said, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because if I keep talking like this, if I keep ministering to people, I'm going to end up getting killed. He did not. He laid his life down. John the Baptist, maybe I shouldn't criticize our leaders. Maybe I shouldn't criticize this person or the king or anything else because if I keep doing this, I'm going to get in prison. I'm going to get my head cut off. No, he kept speaking the truth. Why? Because we're all investments in the kingdom of God. And to the extent that you're willing to lay your life down, to the extent that you're willing to walk the death walk, is to the level of fulfillment that you will experience in the plan of God. Did you get this today? Now, we love each other. We know that God loves us. The truth is we are the apple of his eye, but that has to be balanced out. His plan has got to come to pass. I must decrease so that he will increase. Let's not forget this. Let's not lose sight of this thing here. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, I'm done for today. I, please, I beg you to come back next week because next week we're going to start getting into the specific will of God for certain areas of our life. What is God's will for marriage? What is God's will for families? What is God's will for your job, your vocation, your profession? What is God's will for your finances? What is God's will for the relationships that you're involved in? What is his will? And then we're going to start talking about after that, how do I find out the specific will for my life? Amen? I believe these are, going to be, these are going to be critical milestones in your life. My desire is to give you the tools so that we stop making these foolish decisions that we make and so we stop spending time wandering in the wilderness. Amen? Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.